Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am Scuzzy Gruen. I am also Alex, and I am your Keyforge friend. I am joined by two of my very best Keyforge friends. We've got SC Steel. Hello, hello. And Boulevard Blake. Hey, what's going on, everyone? So we were tossing around some ideas about what we were going to do on the podcast this week. We pitched a couple of things, had some conversation about some potential topics, things we'd like to do in the future, some other series we'd like to do, whether or not we continue some older ideas. And uh, the idea of doing one of our old school uh, sort of uh, theme episodes, or I guess uh, format episodes came up. And Blake said, have we done a Dark Tidings over under yet? (laughs) <laughs> and we said, no, we haven't. And that's what we're doing this week. Dark Tidings over under. If you're not familiar with this format, straight up, once a set has been out for a little while, which Dark Tidings has, we take a look at the cards that in that set that have either overperformed for us or underperformed for us. So this is partially looking at cards that the first time you saw them, you either went, ah, that doesn't seem special, and it turned out that they were great, or cards that you saw and went, wow, that's going to be amazing, and then didn't end up performing for you. Sometimes things come in right in the middle, but I think we all like to choose something that sort of defies expectations. It's kind of the whole point of this segment, and I'm really excited about it because there's lots of interesting things that I think can be said about Dark Tidings and the way that it plays. It's an interesting set from the perspective of how do these cards perform for you and in the context of Dark Tidings or in the context of other decks because we have a whole new mechanic that doesn't exist anywhere else within Keyforge, and so the question has become do cards that affect the tide overperform or underperform within, without, there can be some variation there. I'm very excited for this combo. How about y'all? Totally. Oh, yeah. All right. Why don't we get things started with Sydney? What is your first over-under card? So I know I've mentioned this card a handful of times in the past, but in, in this context, this card is Chronophage, and it's the creature with three power in Logos. Your opponent's creatures and artifacts gain Omega. And when I when this card first came on the scene, I actually remember it, one of the first in-person events that I played with Dark Tidings. Somebody played it against me, and it did work. But that set the expectation so high for me that this this guy, he he underperformed for me ever since then. So I feel like having him on the board just does not do as much against my opponent as I feel like it does against me. So one of the things that gets right through Chronophage is because your opponent's Artifacts and creatures gain Omega. Their actions can still do whatever they want. And if there's something already on the board, it doesn't stop their turn. So there's so many ways to sneak through Chronophage that I haven't been able to do the lockout like was done against me the first time it was ever played. So this one's an underperformer. Yeah, for me, that card's a a nice turn one opener. And beyond that, you, you doesn't really have the same utility just due to board setup and the abundance of other things you could have at your disposal by that point. Totally. If you can defend it and get it on the board early, like it can really mess up your opponent. But, uh, you know, Sydney, I I feel you on this. I feel like the times that I got most messed up by Chronophage playing against it were the times that I wasn't familiar with the set and wasn't familiar with the card and 
just threw down a card without even looking at what was on the board or reading the card text. And that's that's where I got most boned. And then after that, it just became a must-kill, must-remove. And there's plenty of ways to do that within the set, even if you don't have a super established board yet. So like Blake said, if you get this down turn one, it could really cause some problems. But uh, ultimately, yeah, I probably agree. It's not quite as crippling as it seems at first blush. Blake, what do you got? First up, I have a Shadows Action card called Early Birds. It's got two Ember Pips. It's an Alpha, and it says, Play Ready Each Shadows card with the flavor text, So You Promised I Was Going to Get Some Worms. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so um, that's a great flavor text. This this card for me, uh, if we had done this like early on, I would even think twice about like talking about this anyway. But now they've played a bunch of Dark Tidings, and I have the experience of having this card in a couple decks. It just really falls flat in the sense that you really need a perfect storm for this to be something. You're not going to really hang on to this card unless you know your opponent, like you read their deck list, and they have just an absolute exhaustive, exhausting capability. And then you may want to be like, okay, I may need this for my shadows. If your shadows is even that important that you cannot have them for the following round type of thing. So it just falls in a really weird place. I think it's designed really well in the sense that you're getting two ember because if it just had a pip, it would be absolute garbage. But getting two ember makes it have a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more oomph to it in terms of the bang for the buck, so to speak, considering it may not do anything every time it's played. And there are moments when I've been going against the folks in Unfathomable where I thought, wow, an early birds would be really great right now. But like I said, you kind of have to have things line up. Like you get the card. They are exhausted at the same time. It makes sense to use it in that regard. And you just don't. So it's it's kind of like a well-meaning card that really doesn't do much. It's like one of those cards in the earlier sets that names another card or names another type of card for it to actually do anything. And this, like, without naming Unfathomable is basically saying, like, if you are playing against Unfathomable, then this card is useful. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I would say about it is that there's a lot of, like, crappier cards that don't give you two amber. So... Mm-hmm. You know, and there's no reason why, like, you know, alpha is super restrictive on this one, unless you already have an alpha card in your hand, you can only play one of them. And that's not going to be a super common scenario in most decks. So, like, I don't hate this one, but yeah, like, it is kind of just a, it's mediocre middle of the road, but two ambers, like, that's a third of a key. That's not terrible. And, like, a lot of other cards will make you go to further lengths to get two amber out of them with, like, nothing to offer. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't mind it. But uh, I'm just saying it underperforms. I don't think it's a bad card. I think it's designed very well for for the fact that it's so situational. I just think it it underperforms and you I've never actually used it to ready my shadows cards. Let's just say that. Really? That's never happened. Never had a chance to do it. My shadows cards have not been exhausted when I get it. It's like, like I said, I feel like it's such a perfect storm of events that really make it uh, useful and it does have its utility. I mean, there there could be times when it's it is gonna save your butt, but it's just things need to align. The stars need to align a little bit too uh, perfectly for this to work. 
Sure thing. My first pick is a card that I fell in love with uh, and that has done so much work for me. Going on over to Logos, it's a common and it is my favorite, I think, of all of the Dark Tidings dual purpose cards where you get to choose one on play. Uh, It is an action. Theory or Conjecture says, play, choose one, archive the top two cards of your deck or play the top card of your deck. I'm going to be totally honest with you here. I very rarely play the top card of my deck. Uh, and get that wild wormhole effect. Um, As we all know, that's something that can really mess you (laughs) up. But there are so many ways to use archiving to your advantage within the context of Dark Tidings. Um, There's E-Dies in the set, right? Um, So, you know, there's there's, uh, the Archivist is in the set. Um, You know, there's lots of other great ways that you can totally use uh, this to really beef up your archive. And so just throwing it down and being able to archive the top two cards of uh, your deck, those aren't cards that you lose access to. Like, there's no chance being taken there. They go into your archive. They're not being discarded. So you'll draw further into your deck. You'll have access to two cards that you wouldn't have had otherwise. It's just, it's all bonus gravy for me. And I found that this one, especially because it's that common, very stately in my Logos Dark Tidings decks, because it just lets you chew through that deck so much faster. And if you happen to have something that lets you take advantage of archiving, it ends up being a huge bonus. So a big overperformer for me. I agree. Love to see it. You know, it's funny. It's such a good card that like, I wouldn't even call it overperforming. I would call it performing because it does exactly what it should. It's such a good card to begin with that like my expectations were so high that it does what it should. Mm, well I almost put uh, Forgive or Forget there, which is another Logos uh, Play Choose One, where it's archive two cards of different types from your discard pile, which is insane. That's so good. So or good. purge up to two cards from each discard pile, which, you know, you get the uh, the, 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 the dis effect there. Um, oh, yeah. The Infernus effect, if you will. But uh, that one, because it's not as common, uh, it's uncommon. I don't see it as often. And I just feel like it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, no, it's just uh, the theory or conjecture to me is is amazing. What is your next pick, Sydney? So this one is probably one of the hardest for me to pronounce in all of Dark Tidings. Thalassophobia. Actually, no, I think that's I think that I think that's right. I think that's right. Thalassophobia. Yeah, <laughs> so it's an action card. It has an amber pip, and it says, "Play, discard the top ten cards of your opponent's deck." So I, I really don't know why, but I have a penchant for things that deal with the top of the deck, like Wild Wormhole, one of my favorites. But I think that I really hoped this would do more. Like I, I thought that this would have a a larger effect on my opponent, but because your opponent really doesn't have as much control about what's left at the top of their deck, especially like if they have a lot of cards left, you're really helping them cycle faster. So it's something that I thought would be more detrimental to my opponent, but but it really just got them two cards that they wanted faster. And because they didn't have much control over what was in their deck, didn't really necessarily mess up their current game, whatever that strategy was at the moment. So this one has to be an underperformer for me, but it does come with the Amber Pip. So I'll, I'll give it that. It's interesting that um, Alex mentioned the card Forgive or Forget, because if they have that in their deck and you do that to them, you could actually be really actually helping your opponent because you're basically like, now you can search through 10 more cards for what you want. Yeah. Rick, way back when we had a conversation about this card, uh, said that it's kind of like a fun shock and awe card. But like <laughs> that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, of efficacy, and like the only scenario in which I can see it being like really useful is if 
you know that your opponent hasn't drawn into like their their real good ammo and they're getting close to cycling like that if they're down to like six cards in their draw pile and you sure, fire yeah. this off so they can't get those six cards but like how do you know they don't already have like their good amber control in their hand how do you know that they don't have it in their archive like it's it's a far from a sure thing anyway so it's right. kind of cool but you know unless you can get it off in the first couple of turns where it's like anybody's guess whether or not you're going to get somebody closer or further away like that's that's you know a shrug your shoulders but it, there's very few scenarios in which i can see it actually being like guaranteed to do you good Blake, what do you got next? The next card for me is coming from Unfathomable as well. And it's Maelstrom, another action card. And it says, play, put each creature on top of its owner's deck in a random order, gain two chains. I have to say this card underperforms for me. There's a lot of times when there's too much ember on the board on my side. So if I do this, I'm actually going to be giving my opponent a bunch of ember and there's sometimes even moments where the cards that i have will i don't want to draw those again when you're in a position early on when maybe you don't have the board advantage and your opponent does like they have a way stronger board than you it can be really nice in that regard but then there's also moments where there could be pips on cards there could be creatures like a subject kirby for example out there Things like that where them getting to play it again is not really going to hurt them. I'd rather have a destruction than just put things back on top of the deck. So there's too many moments that I have where I have to make the decision, do I want to hurt myself by using this card as well? So I find I'm actually discarding it. And it's. I mean, it has gained two chains. I actually don't think this card needs chains because it is affecting you as well. I think that the chains might be a little much. Even one chain would be fine, but I think two two is acceptable. I, I, I don't know. I just don't feel that the card performs for me. So when I get it in my hand, how often am I using it? That's why I'm kind of looking at this. And I'm not using it a lot of the time because it just will end up hurting me in the same way. That's a great point. I never really considered that it hurts you as much as it hurts your opponent. I usually end up playing it when I really just need to get my opponent's board under control, but I do end up hurting myself as much as my opponent, depending on the board state. Mm-hmm. It also leads to like so many bunk turns in a row because you're drawing into creatures that like, yeah. so if you had a, any kind of a board, your next couple of turns, you know what you're going to be drawing into. And that's kind of a pain because it just slows the game down on some level while you just reestablish the same boards that were out. I guess the big utility of this one is if you're going up against like a super capture heavy deck, but then like, you know, if this is in the capture heavy deck, just like you said, Blake, then what's the advantage there? You know, yeah, it's, it's, I think it has the strongest effect against someone's exalt deck because that's not Ember that was ever yours that now becomes yours. So I, th- I think it does have its place. I'm just saying that it's not anything like any other type of mass board removals that exist in the game where I like am considering using it or not using it. I mean, if you think about it, board removal on like a wide scale, uh, they kind of have shifted recently because there's definitely... M- like a greater amount of capture in the game and things where the ember is still present and you removing your board in any shape or form and your opponents is going to then cause that ember to go back to its owner. So that's that's always been a thing. You kind of need those uh, those Ludos out in force to help you with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
my next pick is an artifact in Shadows. It's a rare. It's called Archon's Revenge. One of the ship cards that exists in Dark Tidings. Action. Exhaust up to two friendly Shadows creatures. For each creature exhausted this way, steal one. This one overperforms for me, guys. Um, cool. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's really situational. How often am I going to have, like, a, you know, a Shadows creature that I don't really care about, you know, that I, I can't get anything else out of? Um, and it turns out very frequently, very frequently do I have a Shadows card that I don't want to do anything else with them. Uh, for example, Francis Economist is in this set. Mm-hmm. Hobnobber, who is only useful if your opponent uh, has six or more. Um, you know, Monty Bank, who I will never exalt on play. Um, old Bruno, who just sits there with Amber on top of them. You know, Sea Urchin, who once they're played, they've done the thing that they're going to do. Um, Whisper, if you don't want to use his power, etc., etc., etc. You know, Shoulderid, you know, you're not going to want to fight with Shoulderid. So, you know, there's lots and lots of ways in which this card can just get you more value out of all kinds of different Shadows creatures. It just gives you more options. Am I thinking at the start of my turn, am I going to use my... Uh, you know, whisper to take out a creature on the other side of the board? Am I going to use my one-eyed Willa to fight into somebody or steal one? Or am I just going to play it safe, use Archon's Revenge, and get two steals off? Stealing two is a huge swing in this era of the game. Back in the day, you know, we used to see cards that would be like, steal three, end your turn, or whatever. Steal two is still pretty darn good, I gotta say. So in as much as it does require you to have some Shadows creatures on the board, I do not find it to be an uncommon occurrence that I have Shadows creatures on the board that I have no other major plans for. Uh, Especially two where I'm not relying on them, generally speaking, to be combat monsters or anything else like that. There isn't like a ton of hard fighting uh, creatures uh, other than the uh, uh, evil twin of Captain Nobeard, for example. So, yeah, I, I find that this one actually gives me a lot for uh, for I wasn't really expecting it to. This one makes a lot of sense. We had like a whole episode on shadows and and talked about how it kind of went downhill after a certain point and, and that Dark Tidings didn't really have a good showing of shadows creatures. And this is a perfect complement to that situation. Yeah, I think it's uh, it also does complement it really nicely. I mean, I love the Shadows creatures in Dark Tidings. It's one of my favorite houses based on the pirate flavor they have and their ability to be so elusive and therefore not as straightforward to fight into. So, And like you said, there's some that you're just reaping, so why not steal instead? Totally. 100%. Sydney, what is your last over-under card? So I finally have an overperformer. For me, this one is Portalmonger, and it's a creature for power, and it affects the tide. So while the tide is high, your opponent keys cost four more amber. And I really found that while using this card, I... I was very, very afraid of chains when the tide was first announced and and that a lot of cards like allowed you to raise the tide, but you could spend three if you didn't have them. And then if you had cards in your deck that you you needed the tide to be high to do cool things, you would really, really have to balance those chains out. But then when I ended up having this guy on the board and I needed to stop them, stop my opponent from forging. It just made so much sense to raise the tide that even though after a while it's just a battle, they have to raise the tide back to prevent it from being four. If they don't raise the tide, it's still plus four. So this one after a while just ends up making keys cost so much that it it really did overperform for me. 
tremendous, uh, I think, in the sense that I like uh, cost control for key control within Dark Tidings. It's a mechanic that I enjoy seeing more so than like stealing people's amber, stuff like that, because it's dealable with in certain ways. I think the thing that I think is most interesting about Portalmonger is from my perspective, anything over three power is exponentially harder to remove from the board without direct removal. Uh, you know, a three power creature, even with elusive, I think is pretty easy to take out. Four is getting into a slightly more challenging territory. That's where I think the break point is from three to four. So making this guy at four means that your opponent's going to have to have some heavy hitters out, or at least uh, some reasonably heavy hitter, or like a reasonably beefy creature to take it off the board and uh, not totally sacrifice that creature itself. And it is kind of a must deal with because you can just keep grabbing that, uh, grabbing that, uh, that tied. Uh-huh. All right, Blake, what is your next pick? So my last one is an evil twin in Sanctum. Ooh. Evil twin Almsmaster, a four power one armor creature that has deploy, which is crucial. And it says each of Almsmaster's neighbors gains a destroyed steel one and has the flavor text Alms for me. So <laughs> I actually really love the cards that give neighbors an ability and then you can kind of abuse that once they're destroyed the next creature shuffles in and now gains the effect and you can kind of just have this fun little game of uh of i don't know what what to call it like hungry hungry hippo we'll say in a way um where you just keep going and you can fight into something if it gets destroyed you're stealing one next creature comes you fight steal one and because it's a deploy you can actually put it within the middle of your battle line with your own sanctum creatures and start going to town and getting the function of stealing during a sanctum turn which is not really something you do in sanctum at all so it, it adds a nice uh, extra level that would not exist normally or if you want to create a problem for your opponent you could put it into the house you're planning on calling next turn and some creatures on either side of that and then you're getting the proposition where your opponent sees this threat on the field now and has to decide do i need to deal with this so I find it really overperforms because of the utility of you can instantly make it take effect and have creatures on either side that are able to be used, or you can put it down as a threat that your opponent has to make a decision if they want to take care of it or not. And as a result, I think it overperforms due to all those things. I also think it's a ton better than its non-evil twin. That just doesn't do yeah. the same thing with the capture. I think the the evil twin version is so much better. Mm-hmm. It's also got wicked good art. That is one of my favorite evil twin <laughs> arts. Like the Alms yeah. Master looks so awesome in its evil version. It's really, really cool. My final card is one that I'm surprised to say I actually find underperforms for me a little bit. It is in-house unfathomable Illusions of Grandeur. This is on the Control the Weak tip, that classic card, which, you know, we've talked numerous times about how every time they've brought this back, this make your opponent choose a house, they've sort of thrown a quist into it, so it's not quite as, you know, plainly powerful as it was in Control the Weekdays, um, things that give you know people options with it. So it's an action play effect. Choose a house on your opponent's identity card. If your opponent does not choose that house as their active house on their next turn, gain three amber. That seems like it would be pretty great. But in practice, what I find is most people will either let me have the three amber because they've got a way of dealing with it, 
or they will uh, uh, just choose the house that I told them to choose. Now, whether that's because I'm bad at choosing which house they shouldn't <laughs> go into and trying to mess up their plans, I don't know. But more often than not, what I found is I play this, I call a house, they call that house, and, you know, everything seems fine. Everything seems hunky-dory. It's very rare that I play Illusions of Grandeur and that I get what the actual desired effect is, which is, oh, you know, my opponent had to let me have three amber or, or they had to have a suboptimal turn. You know, that's like obviously what we're looking for out of this. And it find it just doesn't happen for me. And I don't know if that's me, the deck I'm playing it in, my own inability to choose what house they should definitely not play on their following turn or what. Because this card on its surface seems like such a great card. But yeah, I, I don't find it's been a real game changer for me. No, I'm with you. It's funny. A lot of these cards that, that we've talked about um, underperforming when they're played against me, they they do their job. Like whenever somebody plays Illusions of Grandeur against me, it's like, oh my gosh, I have this horrible decision to make. I don't know what to do. So I feel you that like when you play this card, the choice allows the opponent to have much more flexibility. But I know when it's played against me, I'm suffering. For me, I've noticed that the state of your ember when you play it makes a huge difference because the best time to play it is when you're maybe not in check and by them choosing the house you're saying they have to choose if they choose to go against that they will suddenly put you in check and then then they have to deal with that aspect of uh of your your game state or you get to forge a key so i think it has more effect when by making the choice against it and giving you the ember, you are going to get to forge a key. Because I've actually sometimes just been like, had someone call them like, well, you have two ember, so okay, fine, have three. Oh, well, you know, I also have some steel right now. Great, I would have only been able to steal one ember from you anyway, so this helps me. Like, you know, something like um, something like that can come into play where it gives mm -hmm. you the ability to give them ember, which they didn't have, and now you can gain more ember as a result. Like some of those situations have occurred for me, but I do think that it's not hard to just do the house they they said. I mean, you have to kind of treat it like the card from the previous set, which is Markadis, where Markadis was such a great card because you dealt two damage to something, you didn't kill it, and then you make sure you have a creature to fight into it so they actually don't have a creature on the board. I think it kind of works like that. If they just went into a house and you can take care of their board of that house, then you make them call it again. The, the chances of them having an efficient turn is very low. So they either have to take that inefficient turn, which is, I think, the whole premise of the card, or give you the ember. But it, it is very easy just to be like, that's fine, I'll just call the house. And, and the, the funnier thing is, if you think about the like control of the week and things like that, it's like you must call it. This one, it's like, well, it's your choice if you want to call it. You just have to pay a tax if you don't, which is kind of a funny way of uh, looking at it in comparison. We cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called... Help from Future, from Self. Future Self. Blake, what do you got for us this time? So this week, I have just been really reflecting on decks of old, you might say, and been taking the time to revisit really fun decks that maybe don't have the highest power. Because uh, the way I've started my collection is I, I have some boxes where I keep what I consider like my top tier decks. Mm -hmm. And then I have another box that these are all the decks that either fit some sort of like 
chase card quality or they have something that I really enjoy about playing them, but they're, I wouldn't necessarily bring them to a tournament where I'm trying to impress type of thing. And so I've been going through them and I noticed that revisiting old decks that I haven't played since maybe before Mass Mutations type of thing. So mm-hmm. two sets have now come out. It's really interesting to revisit decks once you've played a new pool of cards, seen things interact, get to see these decks interact with newer decks, with newer cards, and find out they actually have some potencies and matchups that didn't exist prior. So it's always good to go back and visit some fun favorites because you may realize that you, I've said this before, as a player has grown, so therefore you have more proficiency with the deck, but you also get to see the deck act in a way that was not possible before cards that are now in existence are in play. That's a great point. I remember when Exalt came out and um, the card Guilty Hearts was a card in Coda. And I, I went back and I played some decks with Guilty Hearts in it and it just had so much more potency and it was a lot more fun. And I haven't done that since Dark Tidings came out. So that's a great idea. Yeah, visit some some uh, some fan favorites, we'll call them. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me on the Crucible at Scuzzy Gruen. Sydney, where can they find you? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. And Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? You can find me on Discord at Boulevard Blake number sign 3840. Uh, I got new YouTube content coming out. I've so far managed where I think Key Thoughts is my only repeating segment in a month. Every week I'm doing new segments, so it's going to be a variety through the whole month, and I'm really enjoying the new ones I've done. And then I'm also wanting to put a call out to y'all there. Are you interested in some French Age of Ascension for cheap? I'm talking real cheap, like around 10 bucks a display cheap. So if that's something you might be interested in picking up, hit me up on Discord or email. Uh, it's boulevardpaperfight at gmail for email. And then Discord, Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. If you're interested, hit me up and uh, I'll see what I can get a hold of for you. All right. It's been another wonderful episode of Help from Future Self, if I do say so myself. So good to chat with my good friends about Keyforge. We'll be back at you next week with more of the same. Until then, stay forging.